whether you think of the church as a building, he says, glance back to verse 21, we were being fitted together, remember we talked about it. God takes the rough edges off us and fits us into place and the building will not be complete unless we're there. And you specifically have a role to play in what God is doing, his building of the church. If you think of the church as a flock, he's not the kind of God that says, well, I got about 90% of them in here. He doesn't even take 99 out of 100. Remember, he's the kind of shepherd that goes out and gets that hundredth one. Don't ever think of yourself as an extra or unnecessary to what God is doing. And he has entrusted each one of us with a special gift and we're to employ it in serving one another. Welcome to Abide in the Word with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Today we continue in our study of the book of Ephesians, and Pastor Scott brings part two of the message titled, The Mystery of the Church. We invite you to follow along with us now as we get started. To Paul, it wasn't a theological debating point. It wasn't an interesting way that some Christians look at things. He said, God causes all things to work for the purpose of His will. He's in charge. And Paul really believed it. And so when Paul found himself in prison, look at how he describes himself, verse 1. He wasn't Paul the prisoner of Rome. He was Paul the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. He trusted that Christ allowed even this tribulation, and it was. If you think a jail sentence in those days was comfy, think again. He was in prison for the sake of the gospel. He was in chains at times. But he didn't spend his time ranting about the human government that would do this to him. He says, I'm the prisoner of Christ Jesus. Now, it was a tribulation. Look down at verse 13. He says, don't lose heart at my tribulations. And he uses the very word that Jesus described the great tribulation as. It was real tribulation. Paul knew his share of tribulation, but he knew that whatever came his way was consistent with God's love and God's plan for Paul. Are you in prison? Have you ever been in prison for the sake of the gospel? Paul knew what it was like to be in prison, and he didn't spend his time lamenting it or becoming bitter. He said, I'm the prisoner of Christ Jesus. And you know, it's not uncommon. I was thinking through the Bible, and I just thought I didn't look, and there might be many more, but Joseph was in prison. Daniel was in prison. Peter, John, jailed in prison. James, beheaded in Acts 12, remember? These men knew. But you know, if I read verse 1 aright, when Paul says, I'm the prisoner of Christ Jesus, I hear an echo of the very first book of the Bible when Joseph looked at the big scheme, and he said to his brothers, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good to bring about this present result. Genesis 50, verse 20. And let me encourage you to keep that perspective. There is great need for you and me to uh, remember. We don't have to understand the circumstance. We don't have to see how it's going to work. Paul didn't know where this would lead. Joseph, when he was thrown in the pit, and then when he was thrown into jail, and then when he was falsely accused and re-imprisoned, you know, 
Joseph didn't know at the time how it was all going to work out. We don't have to know the circumstances. We don't have to trust that we can figure it out. We simply need to trust the one who will figure it out. The one who says he causes all things to work together for good to those who love him. And if you're like me, I think of that verse in Psalm 94 when he says, when my anxious thoughts multiply within me. I tend to get anxious and worried and wonder, how's it going to work out? How, what is, why did this come down the pike? You know, and I, and I start to get anxious and my anxious thoughts build on one another. You know what I mean? When my anxious thoughts multiply within me. You know what the psalmist said? Psalm 94, 19. When that happened, he said, thy consolations delight my soul. Think back to who God is. Take consolation in the very character of God. Though he slay me, Job said, I will hope in him. You don't sense an imprisoned or defeated tone here at all in Paul because he wasn't. He was Christ's slave. He was Christ's prisoner, and hence he was free. I marvel at that because I so lose sight of that. I spend time in Ephesians like you do. And if you're like me, I forget that he's writing this from prison. And I'm thinking about what insight he has into things. And I forget that his daily life could have easily caused him to become bitter and questioning and wondering. Because God didn't promise us an easy go of it down here. Even in service of him. In fact, especially those men I named. They weren't just off trying to build a good retirement. They were serving God. And I could say, especially when you give your all to the Lord, you might find yourself in circumstances, but you can know those circumstances, though you may not understand them, will work out for your good and his glory. You'll know the truth, Jesus said, if you'll abide in my word, and the truth will set you free. If therefore the Son shall set you free, you shall be free indeed. And Paul had that kind of freedom, and it just kind of comes out of him all the time. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for thou art with me. Nothing could separate Paul from the love of God, and he knew it. I tell you, I know today, I know that any time the Bible addresses this issue, it speaks to our hearts. And there are some here right now, maybe you, in fact, probably all of us, if not now, not too long ago, and if not too long ago, coming right up, there'll be an opportunity to apply this in full force because the essence of faith is to take God at his word. And maybe when times have come, you've prayed and you've asked, Lord, deliver me, and he hasn't. You asked him to heal you, and he hasn't. Or you said, don't let me go to prison on this one, and he allows it, like Paul. What do you do at that point? Turn over to uh, 2 Corinthians 12. 2 Corinthians 12. What should we do? Maybe he didn't answer. Maybe it even got worse. Paul experienced that. Verse 8, 2 Corinthians 12. Concerning this, I entreated the Lord three times that it might depart from me, this thorn in the flesh that Satan had brought to buffet him. He said, three times I prayed to the Lord 
that he might deliver me, that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses, that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Never turn loose of God's sovereign goodness and Bask in his sovereignty in the times of trouble in life. Paul did. Then secondly, ministry is a matter of stewardship. Look at verse 2. He says, you know, I'm writing to you. He said, if indeed you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you. And here's how he described ministry. And I would say this is a principle. Ministry... Serving God is a stewardship. He entrusts something to us for his use and for others. And so he describes it here as an oikonomia, the stewardship. We get our word economy. Sometimes it's translated dispensation. But the idea of something that's been entrusted to me for you. Now, I'm no... I know that Paul's talking about something pretty specific here. He's the apostle, and this stewardship, this economy, this dispensation, this revelation that was entrusted to him was very special. But just the same, the principle is here. God entrusted Paul with something. He gave it to Paul for us. And the same principle applies to every believer. You see, ministry is not for people who stand in pulpits only, or ministry is not for those who go overseas only, or any number of other things. When you come to Christ, you are saved in order to serve, and every one of us has been entrusted. We have a particular niche to play, to fill. And whether you think of the church as a building, he says, glance back to verse 21, we were being fitted together. Remember, we talked about it. God takes the rough edges off us and fits us into place, and the building will not be complete unless we're there. And you specifically have a role to play in what God is doing, his building of the church. If you think of the church as a flock, He's not the kind of God that says, well, I got about 90% of them in here. He doesn't even take 99 out of 100. Remember, he's the kind of shepherd that goes out and gets that hundredth one. Don't ever think of yourself as an extra or unnecessary to what God is doing. Ministry is a stewardship. Whatever he gives you, and he has entrusted each one of us with a special gift, and we're to employ it in serving one another. If it's the body, you think of the church as a body, he says, you know, he put each part in the body. And the eye can't say to the ear, I don't need you, or the hand to the foot, I don't need you. We need each other, and our lives are to be invested. What you have, Christian, is a sacred stewardship from God. Look over at 1 Peter 4 for just a second. 1 Peter 4. Peter states it so well, I'll just let him comment Verse 10, as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another. 
as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks, let him speak as it were the utterances of God. Whoever serves, let him do so as by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. That's the doctrinal statement of it. Are you a Christian? God has given you a special gift, not for your own edification, not to just make you feel happy. It's been entrusted to you, and we are to employ it. Each of us are to employ our gifts to serve one another for His glory. If it's a speaking gift, speak God's Word. If it's a service gift, serve in God's strength, so that in all things God may be glorified. Now, the Ephesians had seen this in action. They didn't just hear it in a doctrinal statement. Look at over at Acts 20. When Paul, uh, you know, I, I say Peter states it well, Paul modeled it. Peter did too, of course, but I'm just, uh, I want you to see a specific here in Acts 20 because don't ever think that you can just kind of coast and be fulfilling what God has called you to do. Don't just give God the leftover time in your life. Give it your best shot in ministry. If God allows you to work with the young kids, give it your best shot. If God allows you to have the opportunity to visit uh, ones in their sickness or being shut in, go for it. And you know, in every opportunity, look for opportunity, extra opportunities with others around to point people to Christ. Serve Him with that kind of diligence Paul did. In Acts 20, when he was kind of recounting his ministry to the elders at Ephesus, verse 24, he said, I don't consider my own life of any account as dear to myself, in order that I may finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel, the grace of God. Paul said, I don't consider my life as something that I make a plan for. Oh, my plan, my five-year plan, my, my long-term plan, my retirement plan, my... Be careful about that kind of language. My, my, my. He said, my life, my course, my ministry, I receive from the Lord. And I don't consider my own life as dear I've got to do what he said to do. I want to fulfill what he's told me to do. And he could even say, and he did. Look at verse 26. After he said, so I went about preaching, you know, house to house, day by day. He said, I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all men. For I didn't shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. He took it seriously. He said, that's the way I'd like you to live. And so as he mentions a stewardship, from God. I'm sure the Ephesians, uh, it ran through their mind how Paul had taken it. So ministry in the church of God is a stewardship. Then third and fourth, I'll uh, look at them together because they're tied together really. All true ministry is based on revelation. And an effective minister needs insight and wisdom, understanding of God's revelation. Notice Paul's knowledge of the church and this mystery. It wasn't based on his intellect. It wasn't based on the schools he'd gone to. It came directly from God, and real ministry comes from revelation. And I'm not saying go off and get yourself a vision. I'm saying revelation. 
He has revealed it to us. Look at verse 3. That by revelation there was made known to me the mystery. It wasn't that he conjured up this idea after he'd studied under the great teachers of his day. In fact, that was almost counterproductive in his life, wasn't it? All the studying he'd done, he ended up saying, you know, I thought I had it all together, and I consider that stuff rubbish compared to what I've found. Now, I'm not depreciating the fact that he had intellect and studied, but I'm saying that's not where ministry flows from. Ministry flows from revelation. And true ministry is based on the Scripture. And we have a God who has spoken. We have a God who's revealed himself, and we should never get over that, whether it be personal ministry, public ministry, you name it. We need to go to the Bible and let people know what God has said. I don't have to tell you my ideas about God. I can tell you what God has said about himself, his self-revelation. And all true knowledge of God and all true ministry of God is biblical. It's biblical, and we must go to the Scripture. And I would combine that with this fourth point as you look at these verses and notice that effective ministry demands insight understanding into God's revelation. Notice how he puts it, that by revelation there was made known to me. By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. Insight, it's a strong word. It's understanding. It isn't merely just grasping it academically. It's getting a hold of it and understanding what God has done. And Paul said, that's key. That's key. You know, it's not used very often in the New Testament. Jesus said, we're to love God with our whole heart, soul, strength, and mind. And then when he recaps it again, and I'm thinking of Mark 12, he uses this word understanding as a synonym of heart and soul and strength. He says, you know, when you love with understanding... Get hold of what God has done for you. When Jesus was 12 years old and they found him with the teachers of the day, they marveled at his understanding, his understanding, his insights. We're to pray, Colossians 1.9, that we might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, insight, and understanding. Pray for it. Ask God for it. You say, well, where can I get it? Look at verse 4 again. By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight. When you read what? Paul's letter. Read the scripture. Go right to the source. Pray Ask God to open it up and then go right to the word. He says literally, which when you read, we'll have insight into God's revelation as we give ourselves to the text. Jesus was always asking people, wasn't he? Haven't you read in the scripture? And oftentimes they hadn't. Or sometimes they had memorized great portions of it, you know, like Pharisees, but they hadn't really understood it. They hadn't given themselves to the text. And he said, didn't you read? And he'd go right back. He did. The problem wasn't with the text. The problem was with their heart. But he said, haven't you read? And he'd bring them right back to the Scripture. And you know, ministry is just that. So often, ministry is bringing people back. How often do I need it? Daily I need it. Weekly I need it, don't you? 
to come back to what God has said. Ministry is based on revelation, and we need insight into it. I think of these two concepts of of thinking and mulling over, giving our mind to it, and then understanding it. And they're combined in one little verse that Paul wrote at the end of his life to Timothy. He said, consider, think, consider what I say, and the Lord will give you understanding in everything. 2 Timothy 2, I think it's 7. Consider what I say, and the Lord will give you understanding. That's the balance of it. When we come to the Bible, come on your knees. Ask him, oh, Lord, give me insight, and then read it. Mull it over. Think. Give it every intellectual ounce you've got. Give it everything you've got, and do it prayerfully, and he'll give insight and understanding. And I'll tell you, the psalmist said, Thy word, it gives understanding to the simple. It's like a lamp. It gives understanding to the simple. The unfolding of thy word. Establish thy word to thy servant as that which produces reverence for thee. I'm quoting out of that 119th Psalm. Watch for statements like that. The Bible tells us regularly, just give yourself to this book and you'll see what life is really all about. And as we do so, we'll become more and more effective in serving the one who sent his son for us. Let's bow together. Father, I am so thankful that you have placed us in your household, in your body, in your building. These things we marvel at. And we praise you too that You've told us very clearly that you are the sovereign one and that you work all things after the counsel of your will. Give us faith, Lord, that in the ups and downs of life, when we don't get the health report we wanted, when we find ourselves in circumstances that could be described as tribulation, that we'd remember that we're in your hands. And I thank you that Paul could say he's the prisoner of Christ Jesus. And I thank you for his passion about ministry, that he saw it was a stewardship from you. I pray that we would have a similar heart. Lord, help us to trust you. Help us to obey you, to fulfill the ministry you've given us. And Lord, I pray that we would fill our mind and our hearts with your word so that as we read, you might give us understanding and insight into what you're doing and what you want to do through our lives. We thank you for this time in your word and just this time to worship you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to Abide in the Word with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Please stay with us. Pastor Scott will return in just a moment with a preview of our next broadcast. Today's program was titled, The Mystery of the Church, a message from our study of the book of Ephesians. If you missed a portion of the message heard on the program today or you'd like to share it with a friend, head on over to abideintheword.us. A free copy of today's entire message is available there for you to stream or download at your convenience. 
Something we've been making available as a thank you gift for our listeners are USB flash drives loaded with Bible teaching series in their entirety. So currently, we're offering the entire teaching of the Gospel of Matthew. That's 109 full-length messages, over 50 hours of clear, Christ-centered Bible teaching on this important introductory book of the New Testament. We'd like to make these teachings available to you, our listeners. Just make your request, along with your gift of any size, to the ministry of Abide in the Word. You can do that during regular business hours by calling 503-524-7000 or mail at P.O. Box 19191, Portland, Oregon, 97280. You can simply click on Contact Us at AbideInTheWord.us anytime. We'd love to put one of these valuable resources in your hands. Now, before we end our time today, let's go to Pastor Scott for a preview of our next broadcast. When we say the church is a mystery, we're not saying it's mysterious or hard to figure out. We're saying it's impossible to figure out. It's impossible to understand had God not revealed it, but He has. In other words, the New Testament uses this term mystery. Look at verse 5, a great definition of it, really which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to His holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. Something we would never know God had not revealed, God now makes known. And the Old Testament saints, they knew a lot, but they didn't know about the church. The church wasn't mentioned in the Old Testament. Romans 11 says, I'll tell you a mystery. I don't want you to be unaware of the mystery that there's been a hardness to Israel. Jewish unbelief opened the door for Gentile salvation. And now in Ephesians, he says he's building Jews and Gentiles into one body, the body of Christ. Join us again next time as we continue in our study of Ephesians. Pastor Scott will bring part three of the message titled, The Mystery of the Church. Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you.